we help uh, scale-up businesses think about what are their top strategic challenges, how should they go about it, and really help provide the tools, people, knowledge, etc., in order to accelerate through their journey quicker. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Stuff Show. This week on the show, we have Lauren Tack. She is a founder and she's a big deal. She was management's today's 35 under 35 female entrepreneurs. She's smashing it. Uh, she's the CEO of a company called Invigorate, which I don't know anything about, so I'm gonna hear all about it now. So Lauren, thanks for coming on the show. When we start off kickoff, tell me about Invigorate. Thanks so much for having me. Always great to um, great to sit and have a chat and kind of break from the day-to-day. That's what we do here, so yeah, yeah right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Invigorate, in essence, is an advisory marketplace for scale-up businesses. We help uh, scale-up businesses think about what are their top strategic challenges, how should they go about it, and really help provide the tools, people, knowledge, etc., in order to accelerate through their journey quicker. That's fucking awesome. I mean, so like, let's go straight into that. Yeah. So how did you, well, before we get into like what that is, how did you get into that? What made you decide to do that? Yeah, so I actually am a strategy consultant by background, helped lots of FTSE 100 companies think about innovation, okay. pairing, partnering, acquiring scale-ups was typically uh, what we help them think through. That's really interesting. So let's, let's I want to ask on that. So the, the innovation strategy for a big FTSE 100 yeah. country is to just to buy a startup. <laughs> Well, yep. not always, not yeah. always. You know, they, they need to think about how they're going to innovate. Do they do it in-house? Do they outsource it to like an incubator or, um, you know, an agency that helps kind of incubate ideas? Mm. Um, do they try kind of put it in the middle of their quite clunky organization with a few kind of entrepreneurs in essence or people that kind of have a bit of extra spirit? Yeah. Uh, or do they just buy? You know, is it a lot easier to kind of scope the market and, and where they need capability, they buy? That's really interesting. It's interesting from a startup perspective because that's, for many founders, the ultimate game is to be acquired, right? It's to get an exit. And so having, making yourself attractive to a big company, a FTSE 100 company, which is potentially going to be an acquire for you is super important. So what did you, I mean, do you have any information on that? Is that something that you were doing or is something you've so, experienced? Yeah. So we, you know, we did a lot of sort of mapping the market, who's mature, who's who's working with competitors, how does that kind of make sense for that organization to work with them, acquire them, partner them, et cetera. So I've always been on the outside of the ecosystem and yeah. always kind of, you know, I've angel invested and always loved being, you know, at the heart of, um, you know, new ideas and pushing new stuff through. Um, I actually worked on a policy piece uh, when I was in um, consulting with the British Business Bank and Treasury. They were looking at how to get more scale-up capital into the startup ecosystem. So we spoke to a ton of founders and a ton of investors to understand what in the UK did we really need to do to unlock more capital and, and in essence, build more businesses and, and scale more businesses. What is the answer to that? Exactly. Um, and what was super cool and, you know, diving really underneath the, the skin of the problems with, from both investors and with founders was there wasn't one central place that really knew what it meant to scale a business you know, really network driven, really relationship driven. Yeah. You know, I'm sure in your own experience being a founder, you're knocking on someone's door being like, do you know someone that knows someone that can kind of help 100%. me with this problem? Um, and so really that's the vision for Invigorate. We want to cut down the 2000 hours that every business spends every year trying to find the appropriate scale up support. Um, yeah. So that's really the vision for Invigorate is to cut down all the time that's spent trying to kind of find, search, understand what your problems are, what your biggest strategic problems you should be focusing are 
and then who can actually help as a founder that you have so many people in different departments so you've got your product team your marketing team your ops team and they're all saying to you this is the most important thing also this is what we need to scale i had a guy earlier just come to me and be like tom that this is going to turn us into a unicorn if we do this and i'm like well i hope we're doing that anyway but like it's uh, so i guess that's really interesting around that prioritization piece so Two things I wanted to dig into there. You said 2,000 hours. 2,000 hours a year or over the lifetime of the business? What? A year. So 2,000 hours a year just wasted trying to find? Trying to find, like, find, vet, research, understand how someone could help your business. Mm. You just, I mean, I'm sure you found, you know, in your own experience, you're kind of like scrolling around, asking for introductions. It's just such a clunky process. Mm. And so much to your point around helping think through challenges founders actually love coming to invigorate because we hold kind of quarterly strategic reviews and really a safe space to say this is what we're trying to tackle yeah and what we provide is obviously a platform that helps you understand what your objectives are and helps you kind of prioritize it but also helps kind of benchmark what are other founders at my stage in my kind of industry tackling yeah and it's such a you know it's one of the best parts of my job because it's such a safe space where you can actually just be like i'm struggling with this yeah. how do i help you know how can i help think through this and then how can it really be really easy after identifying what i need to do to find the right people yeah and i guess the thing is like it's certainly it's only for me i think for a lot of my founders uh, I'm, I'm buddies with like you, you don't i mean no one ever tells you they're having a shit time yeah, yeah. no no one ever says that to you you know I mean, people, like, people say they're having a hard time because usually around fundraising, they usually yeah. say to you like, oh, I can't get these VCs over the line. And, you know, there might be a few things you can tweak that. But very rarely people come to you and say, my product is shit. I'm losing customers left, right and center. You know, no, yeah. few people say that. Um, so it's good to have that environment where you can. The, so question I have for you. I mean, certainly we have it on this show. Like we've recorded stuff on the show and then not put it out because we've had people on who have just been full of shit. Right? Yeah. Okay. And um, there's, and so I, how do you, how do you vet? Because that's how I imagine the biggest problem. Trying to find found startups that want information and advice isn't hard. Trying to find credible people who genuinely give great advice is hard. So how do you find those people and how do you vet them? Yeah. Great question. So our, kind of advisors at this point and certainly the the vision is to expand out to different areas of support but our advisors at this point fall into three or four different categories so zero entrepreneur exited founder people that have worked in the high growth business space and exec positions or people that have worked in corporates but they've worked in kind of innovation type you know with innovation type initiatives so that you know they understand the element of test quickly get stuff out and really kind of are closer to the if you will kind of startup ecosystem and then for each of those categories, we've actually co-created with our businesses as well as investors on what really matters. So if you were a serial entrepreneur, what type of thing, what does good really look like? Mm. Was it money raised? Was it size of business? But I think the, the commonality across all our vetting criteria is they have an understanding of what it means to be investor backed. Because I think that is such an interesting dynamic, right? It's very different than kind of a mom and pop type business where you, you, you've got pressure to grow and you kind of, you need to level up. You've got governance. You need to kind of make sure that your business is in a good spot. And mm. of course, that the numbers are ticking up. So that's really what our advisors share is a commonality and an understanding of what are VCs, PE funds, growth equity funds, angels expecting from you and how do we kind of get your business 
moving in that direction. Yeah, it's a really good. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really good point. I think people always um, the the definition around what is a startup, I think, is a difficult one. And I think a lot of the time, I think it is the fact that you are venture backed and you have investors because it's about pace. Right? Yeah. Okay, so you, you can make a really great business. You can run a have a really successful life with um, all the freedom that you could want by owning a few coffee shops or whatever. And I wouldn't call that a startup. Yeah. Uh, but the second you have investors, holy shit, the pressure changes. The reason I was a little bit late to this is because like you, I just, they just send you questions. They're like, <laughs> Tom, send me your attention metrics. Tom, send me this, send me that. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> but like, it's just a, you know, you've got a boss. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. you absolutely do. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre feeling. And um, you know, the, that pressure to go fast, like I welcome it, I think, but a lot of founders find it particularly hard, you know, yeah. I mean, someone had, and there are, there's a range of different investors. And we talk about this a lot on the show because I'm sure you see this and I'd love to get your view on it about how people pick the right investors, the right people to work with. Yeah. So my attitude is give me your money and give me your network and then just fuck off. <laughs> like, um, yeah. but like, um, uh, actually say that, I, I probably should say because one of my investors came on the show, Jens Lipinski the other week, and he is the most helpful man of all time and constantly tells me how to make my business better. And it works, you yeah. know, but you occasionally, but you do get, there's a problem within the, the the venture community. And I actually, I'd interested to get your point on this where they don't really understand how to run a business. Yeah. What they do is they understand um, the, the metrics that are relevant in order to get you to the next round, yeah. but they don't really understand how you get there. Okay. And they have huge success bias whereby they've got one person in their portfolio that's done exceptionally well. And they're like, everyone should do, do exactly that. Yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. That. And you're like, but that isn't going to work for me. Yep. Um, and um, that becomes a real problem. And I've experienced it firsthand, not here at another business where I'm getting a VC telling me to do stuff all the time. I'm like, this is, this is nonsensical. This isn't yeah. going to work. Do you see that a lot? Is that something that you come across? I mean, it's so interesting to actually and like take two or three steps back and see how the ecosystem is changing. So mm. I think you know, a couple of years ago, it was very much bankers and consultants that were in VC funds, right? And they had, building a business is very different. Coming, being a strat consultant, and then now actually physically building a business, yeah. it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah. And obviously being an angel investor and putting money in and, you know, building a business is chalk and cheese. So I think what's quite encouraging is there are more investors that have been there and done that. And as the ecosystem kind of matures, and as we have more successful founders, I think that will evolve much kind of like a little bit more like the value. But what's really interesting is there's so much capital flowing into the startup ecosystem. The, you know, founders will say there's never enough capital, but really there is. There are record highs of um, investors looking or LPs looking mm. for private market investments. And what that means for VC funds is there's so many more of them that are popping up. So competition is pretty tough. And how do you differentiate in the market? Yes, you may have like good prolific um, VCs with you know, within your fund, but a lot of them are investing quite heavily in portfolio support or platform to differentiate. So they're building kind of networks to offer this type of support that mm. is beyond um, just the investors who don't have an understanding of what it means to take a business to actually yeah, sure. help and support. But the challenge is how do you scale that? You know, how do you actually offer a really holistic package to understanding A, what your challenges are, and then who's best place to actually serve it and the funds are just not big enough to do it so we actually are increasingly working with funds to actually help them scale up their portfolio support in areas that they may not have coverage or if they've got quite a generalist portfolio and let's say they're a seed investor all of a sudden all their businesses do quite well 
And then they've got this big scale-up portfolio Amazing. across different industries. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, we don't even know what the metrics look like. We don't even know what the challenges look like yeah. in the scale-up space. So it's quite fun to see how the ecosystem is evolving and maturing. And, you know, it, yeah. we, um, it, we, we think it's quite fun to work with founders, advisors, investors. It's quite a fun place in the ecosystem to be. Well, it's because they're fun people. Like, you know, they're, it's, yeah. they're, you know, they're intrinsically ambitious and, you know, they're innovating all the time. It's, they're fun to be around. So question, what are the most common things that people come into you right now? So what are things that you're getting like, I need advice in this. This is an area where it's going shit for me. What, what are some things you're hearing right now? So actually what's really cool about being platform driven is we have data on this every week, every month, and can kind of really understand where the ecosystem is and, and trends and problems that people are trying to solve. Um, almost top three, almost any time frame that you look at preparing for a fundraise is, yeah. you know, top of the list. I mean, you, you well know better than anyone else, yeah. um, keeping the, the wheels churning and just always constantly being, making sure your business is prepared for a fundraise um, is, is always top of the priority list. Um, Do you have any top three tips on that? Top three tips. On how to prepare for fundraise? Oh, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's probably the hardest part of the founder's job, you'll know, to try straddle running your business bringing in new customers and fundraising at one time, you know, you, you carry yeah. so many roles with, uh, with that. You know, I think getting prepped quite far in advance around, or actually one of our advisors calls it continuous due diligence, which I actually love, nice. you know, having like a data room that's actually just how you structure your business. So when you prepare for your first fundraise, you might not need that much information, but actually being a little bit more conscious of, what do I need to raise in two or three rounds time and actually starting to build that up? Because every investor conversation they have, they'll ask you a different question and you can prepare the information that kind of slots into, mm. let's say, a Google Doc structure or whatever. Um, and, every time it, and every time your business evolves, you kind of slot that in. So I really like the idea of continuous due diligence. I love that a lot, actually. And um, I can attest to that as well from both sides of the table as an investor and also as someone raising money, whenever, like, just having a data room ready. Yeah. Like, you know, just do it. Don't do it all in one go when you need to do it. Just do it over time. Like yeah. chuck your finances in there, chuck your metrics in there, all your legal, just put it in there. Just keep going. Just keep growing as you go. Completely. And also you can rely on your team to kind of help do things for you, like competitive yeah. analysis or market research or whatever. Yes. You know, they are doing this in your day-to-day -day anyway. So just being quite conscious of what you would need in order to present to an investor just makes you super prepared kind of at any time. And I, I think know. you I kind of have to think that someone's going to knock on your door and be like what you're doing is kind of interesting we well, might yeah. want to acquire you we might want to put money in your business yeah, and yeah. you need to kind of just build that best practice of I, I kind of need to be prepared for anything i think that's great advice uh, my advice for everyone who is uh trying to raise money is always be talking whether you're talking on linkedin or twitter or your or like or to investors to always be talking about what you're doing to people all the time yeah don't don't be like right i'm now going to go and raise money don't do that Talk to people all the time. And then it's remarkable how often conversations just happen through serendipity, you know, and it's, it's really great. And um, having an opinion as well. Well, you know, yeah. founders are quite like some of the best founders are super contrarian. You know, they're kind of, you know, imagining a world being completely different and vision, you know, their vision is just how not a lot of people see things. So actually yeah. being quite, you know, not necessarily controversial, but just putting your views out there. And actually kind of building your thesis as you go, people kind of 
warm to that, you know? It's like, yeah, oh, agreed. absolutely. Like, that's really interesting. I'd never thought of a problem like that. I think it's great, actually. I think, yeah, being noticed is half the problem, right? And if you've got an interesting opinion, that's a good way to get noticed. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so one thing I want to talk to you about because I know it's yeah. something you care about and it's something that I care about too, but I'm, I, just, I don't really know the answer. I don't deal with it is diversity. You talk about it a lot. So you're a, you're a female founder yeah, and a, a female angel as well. So tell me about how you think that experience has been different because you're a female founder compared to how it would be if you were a male founder. It's really interesting because like, I'm an engineer by training. Um, you know, I've worked in corporate environments where there haven't been a there hasn't been a gender balance. Let's put it that way. Yeah, engineering is not particularly. No, engineering yeah, yeah. is not not particularly balanced. No. So you know, I in some instances I'm used to it, but I think what's really interesting about being in those type of environments is you find a way to work and a way to thrive, and it's quite interesting being. So for example, in those type of environments, you build very strong relationships and kind of enter the room or into the into the arena in essence or your work how you approach work in quite a uh, non-brashy way but you bring people alongside and then you kind of work together and succeed in essence yeah, yeah. the founder journey or sales or you know fundraising is completely different you know you have to basically put all your plans on the table and be like i'm going to do this which is not what a lot of women are taught to do right we're kind of taught to like play it a little bit safe, make sure we've got a plan in place, make sure that kind of it's edging towards looking like success. And I think it's quite hard. Well, certainly I found it difficult and I can't speak for, you know, I can't generalize more broadly. I don't know what's happening in every woman's mind. But, you know, I think it's quite hard to really put yourself out there and be like, in four years, I'm going to do this and really have the confidence and actually step into it to be like, this is the business I want to build. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is it's a mindset shift but once you've done it a couple of times then you're just like I'm going to tell everyone I'm going to build this big thing yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and yeah if it doesn't work out then that's okay so I think taking risks is not something that we are always taught to do you know we kind of like you need to do these certain things before you hit a certain age in order to prepare for x y and z yeah um which I don't know. You tell me whether that's if all those well, plans and thoughts have ever come well, it's across your mind. Well, actually, because I listen to what you're saying, and it's like, look, it's always really hard to have those conversations because yeah. I'm a guy, right? Okay, so I'm like, I have no authority here at all. Yeah. But certainly, like, I think what you're saying that's really interesting is about how you're not taught to do that. But certainly, as a as a guy, like, you know, you're you're taught by your role models all the time as you're growing up about having huge amount of confidence and so forth. When I was a kid. I'm going to show you that I'm a thousand years older than everyone else. Um, I watched a show called Saved by the Bell. I don't know if you yeah. know it. There's a guy called Zach Morris and he was like my absolute hero. He's like this super vivacious, super confident guy. Okay. And yeah. he's out there and he's comes up with these mad schemes and so forth. But that was like, and then the story's just about him just getting girlfriends. Like that's basically what it's about. Like <laughs> that was kind of it, right? And you sort of grow up as that, you know, that's the society is telling you that you, know, that's what you are as a guy. And I think it really occurred to me, I suppose, that you're not, you're not getting that as, as a girl. Like you're not as a female. You're not getting that encouragement to say, 
yeah, you should be going out there. You should be going running your own business. You should be going out there. So you're actually not taught to be confident in the same way. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's kind of stems from, that's kind of the stem of the problem. But I guess what you're saying now is, which I think is super powerful is that you can have have the confidence. It's just a practice, you know, like you haven't been taught that, but it doesn't mean you can't do that. It doesn't mean you can't Maybe. go out there and do it. I think it's... Uh, and look, there are far more female founders to look up to. You know, if you look at, I'm such a big fan of Emerson Clare at Enterprise Alumni, Cheryl Steinberg. Yeah, she's awesome. Well, we run them all up. Um, if you look at Rachel Caro at Kuru Kids, Trini at Trini London, you know, there, there's so many more female founders in the ecosystem that you look up to mm. and say, oh my gosh, you know, you, you're kind of a couple steps ahead. Uh, you've done it. We can do it too. And so I think it's actually, there's a huge responsibility in the investment community. And as we know, um, not a lot of pounds go into, into female founders. No. Um, I think less than 1p um, goes into female founders or all female founding Collectively teams. across the world every year. <laughs> Just, yeah. 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 It's, um, it, it's not great. And so I think it's not necessarily the investor's fault. I think there are a variety of societal things that kind of contribute to it. But, you know, I think having more conversations and bringing more awareness around, and it's not only female diversity, right? There's diversity across the board that needs to change. Yeah. Background, socioeconomic, because everyone tackles problems just so very differently. Um, gosh, I mean, they're, they're parts of the market we, that hasn't been touched by tech because we haven't had, you know, people that experience those problems solving those problems. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's super exciting as diversity and as we get better at it the different problems that are going to be solved um, is awesome. Like, a, yeah. you know, it's, it's a really exciting part to be, to be part of the ecosystem. But I have to laugh because I spoke to a fem- um, uh, founder the other day and uh, he rain- raised his angel round literally with no pitch deck, no product, walked into the room and the investors were like, I wish I was in your position. 20, 30, 40 years ago, like, I like your, your confidence. You remind me of myself. Here's the, here's the cash. And how many room do we walk into with someone who thinks that person reminds me of myself? So there is some inherent bias. Oh, I see what you mean there. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, within the space. So look, it's, 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 and I, I don't want it to be a male, female problem. I think it's just, it will evolve. And as we yeah. get more mature and as more people are doing stuff, it, it will improve. So what? So what? So what can I do as? A, what can we? You know, do as as the the perpetrators of this problem? Like, is it? Is is the answer to okay? Um, stop investing in white middle class men and just you know to stop it and then invest. Or is it we? Is it just remove bias and we should just be entirely focusing on the merit of the proposal? Like, if I had the answer, that would be my next business. Yeah, okay, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, look, there's so many things to it. I think. Absolutely not. I don't think you should stop investing in a particular profile founder. If they're solving a good problem and they've got a good business, absolutely go for it. I think just understanding or drawing alongside more people that look different, feel different, think about things differently to understand Mm. their thought process. So maybe taking a few more moments to think about, okay, why is that person giving me a response that doesn't actually feel like what I would want to hear. Yeah, sure. You know, when you're kind yeah, of quizzing yeah. people, uh, you, you get a quick sense of how they think and digging a little bit deeper into why Why did you actually say that? And it actually, you know, you could peel back the layers and there could be a really, really good reason for that response, but you're yeah. just, you're expecting a different response because you're used to dealing with people that think about it in a certain way. 
Yeah, so sure. I think just, you know, add a few more moments onto your to the people that pitch to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that look and feel and, and approach a problem a little bit differently. Add a few more moments onto your meeting and just listen and, and just see how they think about things slightly differently. I love that. I love that. Now, if you, what's next for Invigrate? What's the big vision? What's the big scale? What's happening? What isn't happening? I mean, so... I know you wanted to dive into like challenge, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's why the... you're, you're jumping to ahead to my next questions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you vision, then we can go into challenge. Yeah. Uh, Invigorate wants to be the ones, one place that a scale-up business can come to to solve their problems. You know, so we're going to help you think about what your problems are, what your peers are doing to tackle those problems, and then really provide the solutions to kind of end-to-end. If I'm preparing for a fundraise, we'll be there and we'll make sure you get that fundraise. Likewise, if you're looking to acquire new customers, we're going to help you understand how to go about that and then find new customers. So quite exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. Um, and it's, you know, it's super tangible, right? We're actually, we're not kind of putting someone in a business and then walking away in a transactional type of relationship. We're building partnerships with anyone we touch. The businesses we work with, the investors we work with, the advisors, um, you know, we really want to be... Uh, a trusted place where businesses could come to to say how the hell do I do this and how do I get it how how do I actually achieve the results that I want to yeah I like that a lot that's inspiring okay so this is the thing we get we ask every single founder who comes on the show so if number one what was your what was one fuck up that you've made since starting your own business that you hope no one else makes oh you're like loads it's like how many <laughs> yeah. um look I think and actually, it was one of our advisors that encouraged me to do this. But I think we took a long time to start talking about what we were doing. Right. You know, it was a yeah. lot of like, we're talking, we're having a lot of really interesting individual conversations and we knew we were solving a problem. But we, we, we wanted to be doubly sure that we were solving a big enough problem for everyone before we started, you know, testing and iterating and putting the message out there. So eventually right. it was like three or four months into the business. And one of our advisors was like, why am I not seeing you on every platform? Why are you not telling everyone about these awesome conversations you're having and these problems that you're solving and, you know, et cetera. And I was like, well, you know, I think there are a few more things we need to figure out. And he's like, go put stuff, even if it doesn't make sense, just get it out there. And it was honestly the best advice that anyone could have given me. So I think, um, I mean, it's not a massive fuck up, but certainly um, could have saved a three, four, five months to start with. Um, if we had really kind of got out there quicker. Other other mess-ups, I think, around hiring. Hiring is so tricky. Oh, my God, it's so hard. Hiring yeah. is so, so I tricky. I mean, these two. I mean, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> hiring is tricky. And, you know, it's tricky because both myself and, our, and my COO come from quite corporate backgrounds. And so certainly what we would have hired that would have worked in a team in a corporate or someone that kind of looks and feels and, and acts like us would have been very good for that environment yeah but actually i think what we've learned is it's actually hiring for the environment and the stage of business that you're at rather than credentials or this you know a cv that kind of yeah. ticks a, a bunch of different boxes so you know the person the people that we hire now are going to be very different to the people that we hire at series a and it's actually being okay with some people will thrive with that growth and some people will kind of just be with you for the phases that you kind of need and i think it's again, very different. If you're in a corporate environment, you're hiring someone that's going to grow and scale up the piece, you know, scale up with your team and yeah. grow with you. And it's going to, you know, this is a five-year hire. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. I had a really good uh, piece of advice on this recently from one of my investors. And they were saying, 
at the beginning, you hire people who have a huge breadth of horizontal skills. Yeah. Okay. Because you're like, if you're someone in marketing, you need to do the page, you need to do the SEO, you need to do the website, you've got to do everything, right? And then as you grow, that becomes narrower and narrower and they need to become vertical specialists, right? They have to become that you might hire someone who's just for content, someone who's like, who just does super narrow. And that means those people at the beginning, they may not be with you for the ride. Yeah. And that's but you not- find those broad generalists is so hard and it's so difficult it for them to carry all of the like micro specialisms and, and marketing is like a beast in itself, right? Yeah. Now there's just so many different nooks and crannies to that. So I think uh, to be honest around hiring, the two areas has been around dev and finding the right structure for our tech team mm. and then around marketing as well. Because again, you can have like micro specialists that sit within both of those thing or you just kind of have good generalists yeah um and finding the balance and actually figuring out what your business needs you sometimes need to go through sadly you know really tedious hiring processes etc and things never move as quickly as you want to in order to kind of really find those nuggets or those kind of people that can either be that generalist or fill the gaps where you've got gaps i totally agree what is your one piece of advice that you'd give to every founder Really believe in what you're doing. Make sure you're solving a problem that you feel, that you felt, that, you know, lots of people that you've spoken to have felt and step into that space and own it. And, you know, you think about that problem and how to solve that problem very uniquely and run with it. I like that a lot. Okay. And my one that I ask everyone, uh, I think that if you're a founder, you have to be insanely productive. Okay. Um, now I'm particularly interested in asking you this because I know that you used to be a competitive athlete at tennis. Okay. So is that, what do you, do you have any tips for, for any other founders about how you get so much stuff done at the same time? Because you know, you're investing, you're running this business, you're doing pretty well. Like what do you, what tips do you have for people? It's, it's super tricky. And I think good advice I was given is like blocking some time in your calendar for thinking time, not doing, but just really thinking. And honestly, the team always laughs when I take these kind of thinking things because they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, she's changed our whole business in, in a, <laughs> you know, in, in an afternoon. But I literally go and I don't do it every week, but frequently enough go to like Richmond Park, I walk my dog and just that thinking and breathing time to kind of think through some of your challenges that you're struggling or like how to really tackle that problem is just it sets the like it resets the course of the business and it's amazing that i mean it's also the kind of responsibility you have as a founder to be in a good headspace and to Mm. allow yourself to have that freedom to really think about it because otherwise you do just get caught up in execution mode um and without that kind of breathing space to think about are we actually going in the right direction and does this actually make sense for the business is super important i love that um what dog do you have a little mini dachshund. Oh, wow. oh, nice. He's not walking far. That's a short walk. He, I, we actually think there's a little bit of like other in him because <laughs> he is like, you know, he's like a little mini athlete. Like he literally like, um, he, he'll chase down like any lab. Really? Like any like Amazing. cockapoo. You know, he just is, yeah, he's a jack in the box, but he's, he's brought a lot of joy. And particularly in a pandemic where... You know, I say I go for the walk, then absolutely that's super important. But there has been a lot of time behind the desk in four walls, yeah, you know, yeah, in the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly those challenges with it. So having a, like a little a little pup that's just like loves you to death yeah, yeah. is such a wonderful distraction. There's nothing better than having a dog. I mean, everyone in the world should have a dog. Um, it's the best thing you can ever do. All right, great. This has been fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.